This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Well, hello there. Welcome to a brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast, of course, shining a bright light on sex and disability. I am your host, Andrew Gerza, your gimpy gay, your disabled dreamboat, your disabled boyfriend experience. I am all those things. I'm also the cripple who comes. That is me. I can't think of another cool alliterative thing that I am, but I'm glad you're here, and I'm super excited to start today's episode. Before we go too far ahead, I want to say thank you to all the people who pledged to the Disability After Dark Patreon page and put their money towards the show. If you pledge $1 a month, you can get our minisodes and our full episodes a few days earlier. I'm trying to figure out cool perks for the Patreon peeps. I'm thinking about doing offshoots of Disability After Dark that aren't necessarily show-related, but are kind of about disability politics and disability culture and things that aren't about sex necessarily but are disability adjacent, if you will. So I'm thinking about doing stuff like that. For the Patreon, if you pledge $1 a month, you'll have access to all those things when they become available, but I really do appreciate it. So if you want to pledge, patreon.com slash content. So for this episode, it's a really cool interview with my new friend, Ray, and we met from them hearing me on Cameron Esposito's podcast query they heard me on her show and they were they reached out to me on twitter and started following me and said how great it was that i was on their show we started talking and when i put the call out for interns and help with disability after dark to find more content they sent me a big long email about why they love the show and why they want to help me out so i immediately was like yes let's work together so they are going to become they have become the intern of the show and I wanted to interview them about just their life and get a, get a interview with them in the camp because they have a really cool experience coming from Northern Ireland being queer and disabled. I wanted to hear all about that. I wanted to hear about their experiences with sex, disability, and low vision. I wanted to hear about their idea on gender, politics, and disability. We talked about it a lot. It was a fun interview, and I'm really excited we did it. So I want to introduce you to my friend Ray on this episode of Disability After Dark. Ray? Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? 
I'm good. This is finally happening. It's How many times have we done <laughs> So many times. <laughs> Audience, so, so Ray, Ray, this is Ray. Well, before I get into how awesome you are, tell everybody about you. Oh, God. Um, that That's an interview question and a half. Um, <laughs> um, God, me. Um, I'm Ray. I am um, old enough to know better in general. Um, I am a queer, non-binary research nerd. Um lefty in both politics and handedness um what else can i say about myself um yeah lots of stuff nerdy um we i assume that you're going to say this but we are joining forces so that i can do some research for you yeah Um. ray and i (laughs) met after ray listened to me on cameron esposito's amazing podcast query Hi Cameron, I know you're not listening because I'm too I'm I'm like super not as big as you, but hi, um, you brought us together, so <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, and we listened, and they and Ray said, you know, I I put a call out for interns, and Ray was the first one who gave me a proper like I want to help you with this. So I was like, <laughs> great. So we have decided that we're gonna Ray's gonna help me behind the scenes come up with topic ideas and and cool things for disability after dark and you know we're gonna join forces in that way because i i I figured out that running a podcast by yourself is really hard and after (laughs) almost 100 episodes it gets tired as fuck so the fact that ray came on when they did is i'm so excited that we're gonna be doing doing it together yeah uh, oh, and something I learned uh, at Queer Camp is, like, yes, my pronouns are they, them. So it's, like, a new thing, and I, like, sometimes misgender myself, but um, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'm, I don't really, like, talk about myself in the third person until, like, you have to switch it up a bit. Well, no, thank you for the reminder, because I almost just did it, and then I was like, wait. <laughs> I was like, wait. Hold the, on a second. The pronoun, those, I was like, they, those are, that's not the right pronoun. you got to make sure it's right. <laughs> so... No, I do it myself. This is like this is a learning curve, but we're we're all at it together, including me. Yeah, uh, terrified. I, mean, I think gender politics and like it's also hard. I think when we're disabled, because not hard or harder, but different because the language we use to describe disability uh, and the language we use to describe gender they're also they're also uniquely personal. So yeah. someone's disability gender disability identity could totally not match with their uh, gender identity and totally so you have to really know like what is their personal language choice and don't deviate from that so it's a huge learning curve I know it's like you're tagging like people with like okay what like words do they prefer or like not even prefer like what words do they use to describe themselves and like you know trying your best to incorporate those whenever you talk about them anywhere Um, yeah um what else about me? I, like, forget everything. Like, it's that 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 thing where someone asks you, like, what's your favorite book? And you're like, I don't remember ever reading a book ever in my life. Um, <laughs> so are like, you like, are you like Dory the fish from, from... Yeah, just like having like an existential crisis of like, who am I, Andrew? I don't know. Um, 
yeah, uh, for the purposes of this podcast, I am also um, disabled. I have low vision. Um, I have a condition called oculocutaneous albinism, which um, you may have seen as a stock movie villain of um, the white-haired variety that has uh, all the character sadistic characteristics, apparently, but uh, none of the visual impairment. Um, <laughs> Um, I also have, uh, a couple of chronic illnesses thrown in for fun. So, yeah. Yay, that's exciting. <laughs> Multiple disabilities are amazing and so much fun to deal with. Uh, yep. You're like, which, which disability am I going to contribute this particular symptom to? Which thing's going <laughs> to happen to me today, buddy? Which thing? Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Um, but one of the things I, I liked very much about you when we started talking in person and I started hearing your voice, was that you are from Northern Ireland, and I could tell because you have an awesome Irish accent. <laughs> um, actually, when we talked the first time, you said that it wasn't just Irish. It's like it's like, it's like like a mishmash of things now because you've, been, yeah. you've lived everywhere. Yeah, it, well, not everywhere. Um, yeah, it's kind of a fucked up accent, and I like... Um, getting into taxis here and having people guess where I'm from. Um, it's like a nice little way to confuse people. Um, yeah, I grew up in Northern Ireland. I um, lived in England for seven years and then I've lived in Vancouver, Canada for four years now. Yeah, so it's like just like a real process of trying to be understood in each new country. That's that's what I blame my like weird accent for. But um yeah, the Northern Irish comes out when I'm angry or drunk or tired. So, you know, uh, if you meet me in any of those kind of situations, <laughs> you'll hear it more. <laughs> awesome. I, um, I, I love accents and I can't do any of them. So I'm envious of like everybody who has in <laughs> And I was just in Australia for three weeks and mm -hmm. they like I fell in love with their accent again. And I was like, I wish I could. I wish I had one. And they were like, you do. And I was like, but I don't though. What are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, Canadians like to say they don't have accents, but you absolutely do. Um, and yeah, as for Australian accents, my girlfriend is Australian. So um, I hear Australian accents more than I could ever dream of. <laughs> and then, so then you know how amazing it is, how like, how pretty it is. Yeah, but also they have weird words for stuff. Like, I'm still learning Australian slang, and it just doesn't make any sense. It's funny. My sister, she moved there a couple years ago, and she's totally Canadian. And, and so she, this is totally a tangent. So anybody who's listening is like, what the fuck is this? But she <laughs> she, she moved there, uh, and now she says reckon, and she never said reckon before. And it's really oh, yeah. funny how quickly that like gets into the language. Oh, yeah. Australians reckon a lot of things. Like, they don't necessarily have research to back it up, um, but they reckon a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know if I've picked up any. Um, my girlfriend now says, like, uh, she uses we a lot, like, to describe something. Oh, like, you know, do you, um, do you want a, a wee cup of tea? And I'm like, yes. Absolutely, and also that's the cutest thing ever. Um, so, yeah, you take her to Ireland for a week, and she's just like all the like trying to do the accent. I'm like, no, stop. And then, so do you feel like when she says a week cup of tea, do you feel like you have to specify no, I actually meant large? Like, give me yeah, like, like just the biggest cup of tea, like the biggest mug that we like, own. Yeah, it's gonna be in that. Yeah, the biggest. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so now that we know you're from Northern Ireland originally, tell me what it was like growing up there, being queer and disabled. 
Oh God, not to put too fine a point on it, but uh, pretty hellish, actually. Oh, um, <laughs> you, you surprise me, right? Um, yeah, um, I don't know. I it's a um, I was born in the late eighties, um, so um, that puts me like the end of well, like kind of the um, just a lot of like sectarian kind of like violence and stuff going on. Um, not a lot of people were moving to Northern Ireland, as you can guess from that description of what it was like. Um, and I don't yeah. think I'd want to move somewhere where that was described by you as hellish. So not. <laughs> <laughs> it's very beautiful night. Tourism in Northern Ireland would be like we filmed Game of, like Game of Thrones gets filmed here. Like you should you should visit. Don't don't encourage don't discourage people. Um, no, I think I, it was interesting for me. Like. Um, so growing up and very obviously having albinism, I have the like very like characteristic like white blonde hair. Um, I have you know sort of pale eyes. Like it's it's really um, it was very obvious, especially as a kid. Um, I didn't use a, a cane until I was like well into my twenties, um, which I think will kind of become apparent as I talk about Northern Ireland. Um, yeah, it was like, like the resulting thing is that not a lot of people were moving to Northern Ireland. It's not a very diverse, it wasn't a very diverse place at the time. It was, um, and people had a way of sort of uh, commenting on things and like really noticing difference and, um, and sort of like, yeah, I felt very much an outsider. It's weird being um, like a, having moved to various places and and being that like outsider for like being from somewhere else is actually kind of a comfortable place for me because feeling like an outsider in the place that you grew up is um is like a weird sensation whereas when you move somewhere else it's like that's kind of like a um it feels more novel that you know someone um yeah you're sort of more of a novelty because you're from somewhere else but like feeling like an outsider in the like very city that you grew up in have never lived anywhere else at that point is is kind of a weird spot to be in well i mean yes yes in a way but also because we're disabled and queer the idea of being an outsider like <laughs> and we talked about yeah. that when we when we were talking because we talked yesterday off the off the air and you said you know i've always been kind of comfortable been kind of like into my discomfort of the way that i was grown up and stuff so i'm just thinking about you saying that when I was growing up, as kind of like living in my small town and living where I, I grew up, being an outsider because I was disabled and then because I was queer and disabled, it felt yeah. almost normal. Did you get that kind of same sense to you? Like this is this is what it is. Um. Yeah. I think I think what we were talking about yesterday, and it was like this sense of discomfort that you grew up with. I think it's like it started off with this like very, um, what I can now pinpoint as like you know, like really rampant ableism of um, constantly feeling like I had to put myself into situations or like um, kind of push myself beyond my boundaries and limits to make other people feel more comfortable, whether that was like socially, whether I was like, I had to be funny so that people would forget that like I couldn't see or um, that I had to be assertive so people would forget I was like, you know, um, like being um i'm just gonna throw out a bunch of terms like being uh like sort of conditioned female like being brought up as a girl um and you sort of 
again, you have all those sort of assumptions put on you as well. And then, um, yeah, like figuring out my queerness was just like one more thing of being um, like leaning more into this discomfort that I was taught that like I should, this is my like my price for existing in society and in like my friend group and my family and all this kind of stuff, you know, it was like a very much like a, my discomfort was necessary in order to um, make those situations go more smoothly. And like, that's, that's some shit that I'm unpacking in therapy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that sounds like a lot. So you like, you, you grew up with the idea that being disabled first off, you had to be uncomfortable because of it, because you're yeah. the dis like just so I can understand the discomfort uh, was a was a was like a rite of passage for you. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that it was almost like um, my discomfort was almost uh, required or sort of like currency in a situation where if there was going to be one person who was going to be uncomfortable, either with like me asking them for help to like read something out to me or just um, that it was that it always seemed like my thing to take on and not for someone else to like learn and figure out and educate themselves, which I've done a complete 180 on that now as an adult. But, um, as a kid, I very much felt like, um, yeah, that like it was my responsibility to be the one who was uncomfortable in any given situation. And I just had to try harder and like push myself further and like lean into that discomfort because that was kind of like what I felt like I was subconsciously being told I had to do. Um, and I guess it like, uh, comes from a, a point of, hmm. so, um, I don't know if this is the, is the thing for a lot of people who, um, have low vision or sort of, um, I guess I would be considered legally blind, um, that I have worn glasses since I was two. <laughs> I bet um, you looked adorable when you were two wearing glasses. I just... They were cute. Like, they were the gayest glasses I have ever had. Like, a real, like, almost like an Elton John kind of... They were yeah. rainbow. They were circular. It was magnificent. They please, were... Please, like, before, yeah. before this airs, please send me a picture. I need to... Please. <laughs> I don't... I, I thankfully, uh, here in my... In Vancouver, like, I do not have any pictures. <laughs> oh, no! It would be so epic to see that. <laughs> I'm yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was cute, but um, thankfully, uh, those pictures aren't digitized. So, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, they were um, ironically enough rose tinted. Um, <laughs> unlike <laughs> unlike my view of life as a young child. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, like being a glasses wearer and being a glasses wearer from so young. Um, it's not that like wearing glasses corrects my vision. It's that like it forces my eyes to focus. So in the, like a very like bodily sense, I am doing the work to compensate for my lack of vision by like actually like putting more work into focusing and seeing things. Um, and it's sort of like built from there in terms of like education. There was like uh, a lot of, I heard a lot of like, oh, you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. And I think that that's true for like a lot of disabled folks um, in terms of like 
how much we have to plan, how much um, effort we have to put into like just getting out the door or like doing a bunch of shit that other people take for granted. And but, I, mean, I think you're um, right about that, but I also think when people say that, like, isn't it funny how most people who say that are not disabled? Most mm-hmm. people I've heard that from are not yeah. in the community, and so. Every time I hear that, my ableist like flag goes up, and I'm like, "Well, boy, yeah. like you can't yeah. deal with it. Why, why would you don't say that?" <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, it, you, it's an acknowledgement that like you have to do an awful lot more work without any um, actual willingness to dismantle some of the things that mean you have to do more work. Um, yeah. And there was a lot of in my like growing up, and so yeah, I, um, I really like. Unfortunately, I like. I wish I had. Um, I wish I'd grown up with like more, um, role models or like people who were, um, I, I felt very isolated from, uh, disabled, the disabled community as uh, I was growing up. I didn't really, um, spend time with other, um, blind folks. I didn't, you know, it was very much like, um, do this the the normal way and i'm putting that in huge quotation marks um you know to like make people forget as much as possible that like i had any sort of disability um and i think that like that really transferred into my experience of like queerness too like i was just like oh shit not another thing that makes you like different you're like you're not really fitting in with this whole um with this whole kind of like disability seeing thing. And then you're like, not going to fit in with all like, you know, (laughs) this like straight society where you're meant to like, you know, get married and have kids or whatever, whatever that, um, you know, whatever the uh, standard normative thing is supposed to be. Whatever the like normative, the heteronormative thing is. Um, so yeah, like a lot of, um, uh, yeah, and also like experiencing growing up um, being read as female and like me thinking and trying my best to like be female. And I think that there's a weird thing to say in terms of um, my coming out process of um, being non binary is uh, new for me. And I think that like a lot of that centers around a lot of that discomfort that I've sort of. Um, uh, learn to ignore, I think, like, um, yeah, just that it sort of happens, but I mean, there's so much discomfort in my life anyway, like what's, what's gender and what's sexuality and what's disability and what's just like me being an awkward nerd in the corner who like doesn't know how to navigate the situation, you know, it's like, (laughs) what's, like what how do I tag this discomfort and so like that's been a real process for me of like trying to figure out um and so like putting in all this effort to like be read as sighted and be read as straight and be read as cis like it's um it was so much work that I was like just putting into um all these things trying to undo the like essence of who I am well done that worked so well (laughs) all this stuff that didn't that wasn't really who you were and I think some of that comes from, um, I grew up in a religious environment. So, um, yeah, like I went to church every Sunday until I was 16. Um, not 
terribly willingly and and i think that i know that (laughs) i know that there's a terrible um there's a like for me i find it um that experience of interacting with uh, Christianity specifically as being very ableist, as being very misogynist, as um, the particular church that I went to was like not very um, open or tolerant really at all. So when you, uh, and I think, and I know that there are, you know, disabled folks who are obviously religious and, and that's, that's fine. Like yeah, for me, that works I, for you, that, like that's great, but for a lot of yeah, us. That's super. Like I, I understand that I can see the like role that faith plays in other people's lives. For me, I, um, it really, I think, did a lot of damage to me in terms of thinking that there was a, you know, like the Bible is chock full of people being miraculously healed, right? So, and you know, that still continues into. Um, you know, churches and, and different, like, denominations today where, like, people are um, turning to faith solely as uh, as treatment, as, like, pain management, as all this stuff. And then, like, you know, ultimately, whenever you're trying to pray for something to be taken away, like, you can't... I am a believer in science. You cannot pray genetics to be changed. It just doesn't work. Yeah, and just like you, can, well, you can't pray the gay away, and you can't, you cannot you pray. Can't dis- pray you also can't pray disabled away. So <laughs> I tried, folks. It doesn't work. <laughs> Whoa! Tell me that story. It's like really dedicated. Um, yeah, no, it was just like it was an awful lot of. I, I think growing up, whenever you feel like you know, when you really feel like an outsider and you feel like you're sort of, you know, you go to church on Sunday and you're told that your body is wrong and then you, like, some random guy in the street calls you a fucking albino from, like, four lands of traffic away and you're like, wow. okay, well, like, society thinks, like, my body is wrong and, like, so there's just an awful lot of this, like, you know, I had this, like, kernel of, like, but I think I'm okay, like, you know, I think that I'm, like, a pretty cool, interesting, creative person. Like, I, you know, there was a, always this, like, kernel of, like, but I think I might be fine. But just in case, like, let me try every fucking other thing to see if I can change this. Um, and everyone who knows me knows that I am incredibly determined. So I can tell you that if it doesn't work for me, it's not going to work for you. <laughs> um, I, I just got gayer and more disabled. And, like, uh, throughout gender, so, yeah. When you try to do that, like, you get the opposite, apparently, is what I'm being told. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to segue into things there. Um, uh, tell me how the, how ableism has impacted your self-esteem and your sexual self-expression. Oh, wow. Um I think that's like a real and go in and lead into that however you want it's <laughs> open ended totally like go into that however you for want of a better word that's a real clusterfuck um <laughs> let me see yeah i I think that like constantly feeling out of place and uncomfortable um became um like rapidly became like an internal process for me. Um, so like taking 
you know, just like being absorbing other people's negativity in terms of like, you know, my disability and like how um, frustrating I find that and how people would comment on it and like, you know, being told off for like, you know, sitting in an unladylike way um, or, you know, like a lot of just like a lot of things that I just ended up um, doing a lot of policing of myself. Um, and I think that it's almost impossible to have like self-esteem and feel like, um, and feel like you're desirable whenever, like, I wasn't even like a complete version of myself. Um, you know, that I'm just like existing as this, well, like, don't be this person, be like the person that other people want you to be. Um, I really struggled a lot in terms of, um, I guess, internalized homophobia, like that, you know, being, um, being raised in a sort of Christian household meant that I didn't, I wasn't exposed to like any queer people at all. Um, and so in my like, um, in my like weird kind of like early teenage logic was like, um, I knew I liked girls and I, I think that I sort of always um, had known that like, no, 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 they're just, I just, it's a really intense friendship. Um, <laughs> I just really like, I want to stare at it for like a good 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, just friendship. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. Um, and so at some point, like I, I really did realize um, like I don't have crushes on boys the way my friends have crushes on boys. I think that boys are like, like fine and whatever and interesting and I like hanging out with them. But like, it wasn't this like really, um, intense way that I like thought about girls. Um, and I, but I think that like, I remember sort of, I remember a moment now that I, um, I've forgotten about it for many years and I, I remember like as this like feeling was rising of like um as this thing was you know as this feeling was rising of like oh I think like this is actually like a crush on a girl and maybe that's like that makes a lot of sense I was like simultaneously going nope that's not possible you were not a boy so like that's that's going right back down again into the subconscious and never coming out um and so I guess that, like, I I just felt very awkward in my body. Like, I didn't, um, I was trying to do this whole, like, girl thing. And um, I, like, I have been quite femme presenting in the past at various points. Um, but it sounds like you never felt, it sounds like you never felt really comfortable with that. Yeah, it was never, uh, I think that's the thing. It's like, this is my, like, signal for, um for what feels good to me is that like it never felt easy it was like this very like exact science to get right but if like anything like you know the wind blew and my hair like moved i was just like no done like finish for the day no not it's over then like i just it was like this like building a house of cards um in terms of like you know sort of like femme presenting like attractiveness and building a house of cards in terms of like finding um sort of cisgendered um straight guys attractive like it was just this very like i guess i could do this but it was kind of like it 
was very clinical and not like um didn't feel like comfortable and natural at all yeah whereas now i like as just as a like quick side note like my hair is currently i did a bunch of cleaning yesterday because i have a friend visiting i like you know i just i'm like not great and i just push my hair to the side and uh, if it's messy i don't care and so like i'm way more relaxed in my like presentation and like feeling of um like feeling attractive and like you know mostly good with my body and stuff now so like it really does i think it's that um what feels comfortable versus what like feels very clinical and like you're trying to um like trying to like build a robot rather than just like doing something that's relaxing. Oh and, my like, god! I just natural. thought of, I just thought of like Frozen, and if, when you said, "Do you want to build?" I thought of like, <laughs> "Do you want to build a robot?" So I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, teenage me would be like, "Yes, if I could have a robot version of myself that was like that was like able-bodied and you know cisgendered and like heterosexual, fine." Um, now I am like, no, no. no they seem boring as shit um uh yeah so in terms of like attractiveness again i like much like trying to like pray away the disability i like really was like okay like i just need to like convince myself that like being straight is the thing that i am and that worked terribly um for like a couple of reasons i guess um i think I think when you have a when you have a disability, um, being seen as so like for me at the time like wanting to be um, accepted or seen as a teenage girl um, was very much like how can I erase disability from this to like you know it's like you're trying to reach like a level that other people are at you're which is like a standard that is totally ableist and, and you don't i totally get it yeah. like i am not advocating ableism in the slightest at no, all no, no, but I, what i'm saying is what i'm saying is like when because <laughs> i've done that too and i do that now and i'm i'm fucking 34 you're trying yeah. to reach for a for a a standard that is that is predicated on ableism and you don't even realize it at the time but you're like this is what i'm supposed to want because everybody yeah. else around me has this and I need it, and I need it to feel a little bit okay. And you don't even know if you're going to feel okay from it. You just know that it's what you're supposed to lead. Yeah, and so, like, you know, like, I watched a bunch of my friends around me, like, you know, trying to, like, be more attractive and, like, flirt. And I'm, like, to even get to that stage, I need, like, for potential people to accept me as, like, being a girl rather than this, like, sexless, like, uh, you know like weirdly like people made assumptions in terms of like um i remember one friend going oh you're not like you're not religious and i'm like fuck no um just like making making these assumptions of like that i was some sort of like victorian ideal of um i don't know like femininity and like you know all those kind of associations it was it's a very weird thing but like obviously part of the reason why you have this fucking podcast in the first place is because disabled people are so often thought of as like just being totally sexless and like you know as a entire group of people and not like encompassing all of the spectrum of sexuality and sexual expression that like everyone else experiences um 
So I think that I... That's part of the reason of this podcast. The other part is that I am a narcissistic person that likes likes to talk about all my things. So yes, you're partially right. I was trying to give you more like altruistic credit, but fine. (laughs) You go with the narcissism. Yeah, there you go. It's good. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I, I think that it was that. It was like very much like not seeing... Um, representation um, of like any sort of any sort of blindness that wasn't just like helpless and like clinical or um, any sort of representation of albinism that wasn't sadistic and evil. Um, neither of those things. I mean, some of those things are attractive. I mean, but, um, okay, when you mentioned <laughs> the evil, the evil, like, like forgive my ignorance, but I, first of all, I didn't realize you had albinism until you mentioned it right now. You may have mentioned it like you may have mentioned it when we first started talking, but I honestly was like, "No, no, their hair is just really cool." Like that's all. Like I didn't, it didn't, I didn't clue in. So, if you wanted to, like, if you wanted to get passing marks, yeah, I didn't realize anything was happening, and then now I do. It was so great, uh, but um, I never have encountered media where the person with alb- albinism is evil. Can you give us examples of that? Oh wow. Um, yeah, I have. Uh, I think what I call like a disability shit list. Um, so maybe I can pull like some of them are, are recent and, and it's also it's a kind of an insidious thing in that um, most uh, like a lot of the characters who um, I would read as like borrowing the aesthetic of albinism without actually like saying it specifically or you know so like every um there's a tends to be a bunch of um, like TV shows and films who they have like a mysterious white-haired villain. Um, so uh, that doesn't like specifically say anything, but they're sort of like unusually, unusually like you know sort of white blonde hair. Um, stuff like I can oh, think of what? like I can think of like the first thing I thought of when you said white blonde hair is Children the Corn is what I thought of right away. Uh, the kids that murdered you in a cornfield, and um, was did Austin Powers do something kind of like that? Not with hair, but with the white. Like, was Doctor Evil supposed to play on that? Um, like, there's there's so many examples of this. There's um, and like you know, I'm also like sensitive to it but if someone uses it to like drunkenly call me a name i'm like i'm adding that to the shit list so like even uh, <laughs> even like let's take um uh this is a controversial one but like um the malfoys from harry potter um all of them have like ridiculously white blonde hair and are evil but uh, no other like determining characteristics there's um uh, who's the villain in one of the recent Daniel Craig Bond films? Um, uh, he's played by Javier, Bard- Javier Bardem, who like also has like really white blonde hair. I'm like, nope. Um, yeah, Doctor No. Was he Doctor uh, No? No. No, no, no. That's way more recent than that. Um, oh God. Um, but it was a remake, right? And I know, like, I know, I know what you're talking about, but I think. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, like, ones that specifically mention albinism, um, my least favorite, um, or the one that makes me most angry, is the um, the Da Vinci Code by uh, 
Don Brown, um, who um, there's a specifically named um, villain with uh, oh, yeah. album. That, I, it was like ridiculously good marksman and like I'm like no I'd be missing all of those shots like I'm not <laughs> you know so again like very specifically mentioned as um someone with albinism he's like sadistic and a killer and like um but like doesn't actually um have any of the like you know blindness or low vision associated with albinism um also played by an able-bodied actor of course um, of course, of course. Yeah, and there's like um, a Matrix sequel that I avoided that also I think again has like some like villainous twins with albinism as well. So it's it's this like very it just kind of like creeps in. There's a couple of TV shows that I've watched or like, and like or like if yeah. you're not a villain, I'm I'm thinking of also like that movie from the '90s, Powder, like. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was about yeah, the, this kid <laughs> with albinism who lived in, like, Kansas or wherever, and he could move things with his mind, and he was clearly albino. Of course. He, yeah, yep. he was clearly albino. Superpowers or, yeah. or a villain. He had superpowers <laughs> and could, like, move things, and he was, like, this, this like, otherworldly thing, person, hmm. creature, I don't know. Um, uh... But so speaking of representation, just to move it back to sex a little bit, would you want to see somebody with albinism having their sexuality so, like celebrated? Would you want to see like an like an albino, not to I'm very careful to suggest we fetishize, but to do it like see like an albino like positivity sexy calendar? Is that something you would? <laughs> um, huh. I mean, yeah. I I think it's just like again like so many other um disabled people like we're we're seen as like just not human and yeah like my my sexuality is a big part of my identity and so like just like some kind of representation like it's not um even in terms of like um even in terms of albinism being re represented in like beauty standards it's again like this kind of weird fet fetishized thing so um like um, i don't know I've, I've seen um there are a couple of models with albinism um who are trying to sort of like bring that representation in but um yeah i i think it's just like generally like representation across the board and yes if we could see um if we could see people with albinism being like sexy and awesome and powerful and just like all you know confident in the range of like sexy characteristics that you know it's not just um it's not just super femme presenting like you know or super masculine and, and flagellating themselves with a thing uh, in a... Yeah, in, a la Don Bryan. Thanks for that representation. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? I mean... <laughs> um, so I want to shift gears a bit with you and talk mm -hmm. more about sex. Well, not sex, okay. but like flirting. Um, <laughs> and one of the things you put in your pre-questionnaire was you want to talk about how low, ver low vision presents challenges in flirting. And I want to talk about that, but also move it a little bit into like sexy times. And I want to understand if you're if you're comfortable to tell us 
first <laughs> tell me like first tell me about low vision and flirting because i am not somebody with low vision so i don't know i don't live that experience what is mm-hmm. that like to try to pick up cues um nearly impossible so like i'm what also doesn't help is that i am a real introvert and so the introvert like i don't know whether it's like um like queer sort of like um feminine presenting or like you know um that there's a real like being as subtle as possible um which does not work for me um uh, yeah, this sort of making eye contact. No, I, I have no idea whether you're like looking at me or looking at the menu or looking at like someone behind me. Like I'm just, I just look like what? Like I'm just, are you like? And I can't even read. I can't read your expression. Do, are you angry? Are you just staring into the middle distance? Like I have no idea. <laughs> um, so in terms of like subtle flirting cues, just are totally lost on me. Um, um, my girlfriend would probably hate me for saying this, but recently I was like, you know, like I really would like a better measure of um, how people respond to me. So if you could like, if you ever see someone check me out, would you let me know? Amazing. <laughs> it's just like getting other people to do this work for me. Um, yeah, I, it, it's kind of, I think it's like, it's partly um, the way I would, sort of naturally want to flirt is very um is very subtle um my my game is not strong i would probably talk uh to someone about podcasts um and (laughs) i would hope you mention mine i would hope you mention this one of course um so yeah i i like the way the way I would want to flirt and be and like flirt back is like totally inaccessible to me. Um, so you'd want so that, you'd want to be that. So just correct and correct me if I'm wrong. You want to be that coy like, coy, the coy shy yeah. like shy like <laughs> oh we're flirting <laughs> but like that doesn't that's not that doesn't work for you so you'd have yeah, to yeah just be- like just like a well timed like eyebrow raise you know like that but that doesn't work for me because I have no idea how they respond <laughs> um yeah so and I think it's like a lot of flirting is body language right and like I will frequently like depending on the where we are and the lighting conditions and whatever else is like very um it's like very difficult to read yeah um yeah um so so, if somebody was to flirt with you like what not so much what you want but what do you need for it to to work like very like um like what are your flirting access needs oh okay um flirty banter is uh sort of like um like trading insults joking around like that's definitely i'm like okay we we have something going here like if i if you can like creatively but also like flirtily insult me i'm there like (laughs) let's chat some more oh i'm i'm I'm, you like i am all about the flirty insulty banter that isn't that doesn't go like (laughs) it doesn't go too far and I, like, but I'm much more direct. My my flirty manner is like, "Hey, hey, uh, so I think you're really cute. Wanna like, wanna you wanna like mess around? Because I because I, <laughs> I feel like if I'm not super direct about it, 
I it's not gonna like I'm not it won't ever happen. So I'm I'm very I'm sometimes way too forward because I'm like I have to make clear that I'm doing this for sure. Yeah, like I'm definitely interested in you. You should like you know just just so that you know like right right from the get go. Yeah, I'm I'm more of a long game kind of person. <laughs> I uh, yeah. It's more um, my wit and charm, which, uh, depending on the person, um, is comes naturally or doesn't. So uh, I mean, I want to have more wit and charm. Like I think I'm charming <laughs> and witty in when I like do work stuff with the podcast. But I'm certainly like I have no game when it comes to real life. Like I can interview somebody for an hour, but afterwards I'm like, so uh, but, uh, uh, like I, I'm not, I can't do it. Um, yeah. But. <laughs> Moving past my inability to flirt with people, uh, uh-huh. I wanted to ask you, how does having low vision affect your sex life? Um, it really doesn't, I have to be honest. It's like not, um, yeah, in, in terms of, I, I used to, uh, I used to work for this organization and um, I did disability awareness training and I, um, they had a a campaign on um, sex and disability called undressing disability. I'll just like shout them out. They're called enhanced UK. Um, UK, I know you. Hey, (laughs) hi Jenny. Hey, hey, listen. (laughs) Um, And so like before one of my like um, very first training, um, uh, like training sessions as a facilitator Jenny said to me like you know we have this sex and disability campaign so like if you can work that into um this and it was like a a room full of um like old uh sort of businessmen um and oh no (laughs) they just thought it was like it was going to be like a real good time whatever there was like they had wine it was it was a whole thing um and um and i sort of opened the conversation was talking a little bit about my disability and um was talking about sort of like the the kind of aids that i use um and i said you know i only take my glasses off for three things and that's you know sleeping showering and sex and that was just like i had them after that <laughs> they were they were in the room um so yeah like to, to segue back to um your question it like really like i mean good communication is important but um as a having been blind since birth like i'm pretty good in like not being able to see uh low light uh using only my hands kind of environments i'm fine with this I mean, if I could speak to, like, the audience's generalized ableism and ignorance to this, and the, and I'm going to be really blunt about what I'm asking. Like, so mm-hmm. if you were to describe low-vision sex to a seeing person, could you tell me that it, like, can you pinpoint some differences to me that I might not ex- expect? Because um, it is something that I'm curious about as someone who, can, who has not yeah. an, an experience with low-vision. I think this is also a thing about um, how, um, like, two sort of um, queer, um, so the, you know, people I tend to have sex with are um, sort of female, the, the sign female at birth. Um, and so, like, I think 
like queer women um, having sex is, um, it's more, how would I say that? Like, you know, it's just, we, we have like different kinds of like sex acts and it's a, like a different pace than maybe um, like straight people, you know, it's sort of, it's a bit more um, reciprocal and like, um, and there is lots of communication and stuff involved, but isn't necessarily just, you know, like that very, um, I guess like mostly like heteronormative, like penis vagina kind of deal. Like there's a lot of like, you know, it's a lot of like, you know, sort of touching and oral and, you know, like there's a lot, um, so that you don't, yeah. Like sight isn't a big part of like, sex anyway i don't yeah think i mean again, like that, but, but that's my experience I but, mean, yeah you, when the more i think about it you're totally right but when we think about you know i have sighted privilege so the when you when you say you have low vision you have sex even my in my brain who understands disability who understands those intersections i'm going i'm thinking oh like wh- how would it be like different how would i like ha- like i'm trying to figure out even if I had it, and you're totally right that we have, we rely mostly on touch and, and movement and body stuff, but yeah. I can imagine for somebody who's, who doesn't have low vision, the idea of losing vision during sex, like not being able to fully see someone's body or fully see mm. things would be, would be kind of scary. Um, I mean, it, like it is more in terms of like establishing trust with a person but that's true for like if you're going to have sex with anybody you should be establishing trust so i think that like you know having having good sex with someone with low vision is like just good rules for having good sex in general like communicate and like if you know something isn't working for you you have to say and like if something really is working for you then there's like a whole range of ways you can communicate with that you know it's not just like you know sex is isn't a purely visual thing so actually like i would say i'm pretty good at it i'm pretty good with my hands like i i'm very good with audible cues you know so all this it's like my realm if anything i'm just laughing Um, because that was the most subtly dirty conversation (laughs) that was so dirty and i loved every second of it see this is my specialty subtly dirty Yeah, um, but he, like, uh, you know, in terms of, like, a lot of things that I do as a blind person, as a low vision person, um, actually, I think, um, are very good training for, for having sex, because it's, like, you know, I, if I'm constantly, like, if I'm looking for things and doing a lot with my hands, and it's, like, um, I'm very aware of, position like you know so like to take it out of a completely like well a usually not sexy uh, environment like when i'm in the shower for example i'm reaching for things because i put them in exactly the same place and i know what kind of pressure to pick things up with and so like you know and and exactly where things are and and so like when you take that into like a sexy context it's like I can learn exactly like what kind of pressure and like where, you know, just like it's, it's good training. Um, you know, I, I have good spatial awareness 
which is a weird thing to you say. so awesome because <laughs> I do not have good spatial awareness, so <laughs> I feel super jealous, and I wish that I, <laughs> I just really don't. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I, I'm doing a little bit of a victory dance. <laughs> oh, I saw it. Oh, I saw it. I saw it. I'm doing it for the benefit of listeners. To making it an accessible medium, Andrew. Like, <laughs> just so you can enjoy that, like, I'm doing a little shoulder shimmy. No, um, I, yeah, it's, I don't, in fact, like, sex is one of the few places that I don't, um, feel that things are really, um, like, really inaccessible, which is, like, a fun thing to say. Um, yeah, because it, it's just, you know, it's um, interacting with uh, another person or people and in a way that, like, you know, if you establish binders, and, like, you know, vision isn't necessarily a, a key component of, of that experience. And it doesn't, I don't need it to, like, um, be You don't a, need to be able to see to get somebody off. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I like I don't need it for for myself because like you know what um, what turns me on is like you know someone like knowing that someone is um, having a good time and like you know that I'm able to like uh, use them and like you know it's just there's a lot of other sensations and things happening and the visual aspect of that isn't really important. Do you, have you experienced any ableism when you tell somebody that you're about to hook up but that you have levision and albinism? Do you have you experienced when you're like, oh, uh, um, it's it's been a while. I like because I have a girlfriend uh, currently, so, um, and her response was to Google everything. So, um, in a really like, um, lovely open. Uh, like she was telling me things about albinism by the end of her sort of research. So um, I was like, good, excellent. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, I am very, um, I am very forward when it comes to sex. And so I think that that really kind of helps that like, I'm pretty happy to take charge in a way that like, I don't think people expect as again, like as a disabled person that you're like, no, I'm running this show. <laughs> so I'm going to suggest in gay male terms, you're a power top. <laughs> uh, that's just what I feel you are. I like to be um, responsive to whoever I'm with, but sure. Um, fine. <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah. So I, I think that some of that, like that, it takes some of the anxiety out of it that like um i'm putting forward this like i'm confident i know what i'm doing um and yeah or you know in the past when when it's come up it's really been um just like pretend i don't i'm not i'm not disabled in any way so like again that's something that if it's more casual i don't necessarily have to talk to someone about that um do you yeah. do you like to play with the idea of not being disabled during casual sex like, if you're not gonna see the person again, are you gonna, are you like, do you, would you hide it just as a way of like, not because you're ashamed or anything, but as a way of like, as a way of like, I don't need to share this because we're just gonna get off and this, I won't see this person again. Um. Yeah. I. It's kind of like 
how relevant is it to this thing? You know, like if I'm getting into a relationship with someone, like I want them to, um, to sort of uh, know the fullness of who I am as a person. If it's, you know, if it's about sex and it's not, I, I like it, it. I think it does depend. Um, I'm enjoying yeah. the dichotomy of you right now, telling me that you take charge, <laughs> and then the adorable awkwardness that I'm watching happen, right? Like, <laughs> I like how yes. you just... I'm like, I'm, like, assertive, but also, like, I'm thinking through this question. Um, yeah. Again, it's, like, I've been with my girlfriend for quite a long time. Um, so I'm just, like... And I think that, like, since we've been together, like, I have got way more comfortable with myself as a person is a thing that came up in the future would I be more forthcoming about it yeah probably like you know I'm, I'm not I'm not really interested in hiding my disability an awful lot um and so but I I also have this thing that like um I don't I I'm not necessarily read as disabled as soon as you see me so it's that thing of like sometimes I think just like um this is weird to say in this context, but, um, but like, you know, that if you don't, if there isn't something immediately obvious about you, sometimes it's just not relevant to bring it up. And in that context, um, and sometimes like, it's not relevant to bring it up because you don't want to, it's not because you're ashamed. It's because you don't want to deal with the ableism after effect of, of dealing with all that. Like sometimes when you come out yeah. as disabled, you're, it's not that you have a problem telling somebody. It's not like when I, like, I have to be read as disabled because I'm a wheelchair user, so I'm immediately read, yeah. I'm read like that. So for, like, a, when you're when you're telling me you have the privilege of, you know, not bringing it up, I'm kind of like, oh, that's so cool, because what's that, like, what's that like? Yeah, I, and, and I get that, like, it's, there, I think there's, like, as many advantages as there are disadvantages to that, right? You know, like that I maybe am not so inclined to have that conversation with someone, just like, you know, um, starting from the, like the sex conversation for the moment. Like, I don't necessarily need to have that conversation if it's in a situation where it's not relevant. You know, it's like just having, just like having like a conversation about queerness. Like if it's not relevant to my taxi driver or whoever, like I don't really need to get into it. And so... Um, there is a privilege to not having to talk about it and not having to deal with it. Um, but that means that you can get into a situation where, um, because you're not instantly read as like having accessibility needs or having, um, yeah, just like being disabled in any way that like people don't read you as that. And so if you do actually then in the middle of whatever it is, say, oh, actually, like, this isn't accessible to me or I'm kind of struggling with this, that then people don't necessarily believe you because that you don't, you're not read as this, like, stock character that they know how to identify with. So, like, I don't have a guide dog. Um, so, like, you know, people are just like, nope, definitely not. You know, I I sit on the bus and look at my phone. And so even if I have my kin, like, people are like, oh, well, like, they're lying. Or, you know, they couldn't possibly, like, read a large print book and also, like, need the can. Um, and I mean, like, so that, happened to me, yeah. that happened to me in, in a different context. The other day, in terms of disability, I was I was driving down the street with my chair, and I saw somebody in a in a power chair with a 
white cane, and I swear to you, for a minute, my brain went, wait a minute, those, that, what, it does, that doesn't, I don't know how to do that, what, I had to start, like, and I felt, like, after I walked away, walked away, after I rolled away, I felt super ableist, like, in what I was thinking, because I literally thought, and I thought, this person is a wheelchair user, they cannot have a white cane, too. And then I was like, that's not right or fair or true. They're totally allowed to have whatever they need. But yeah. it's funny how your brain like does that to you and makes you like, oh, nope, okay. Yeah. Oh, no, and it's definitely true, like, even as a, you know, even as a disabled person. Because I, I think there's some, like... <laughs> I think there's some fucking lie that it's like we're told we like someone um, like sits us down whenever we have a disability. Like there's a point it's like fucking Hogwarts for disabled people. And then they like sit us down and they're like, you're disabled and here are all the ways in which like other people are disabled too. And it's like, no, we're just all figuring this shit out for ourselves. Wouldn't it have been amazing though? Let's just get JK, JK (laughs) Rowling, JK Rowling. Hello. Hi. Could you do a Harry Potter with a bunch of wheelchair users and mobility aid users and people with varying disabilities? Could you please, and not make them fantastic, and don't make them have superpowers, and don't make them do anything, just can they be there? Please. Yeah, like, a quick question. Where is disability in Hogwarts? Because, um, I mean, I'm the wrong person to ask because I'm not a real Harry Potter nerd. That would be my girlfriend. Um, but, like, why? Where is the disability? Where is the representation? And why are the only people with mental health problems super problematic representations? Okay, yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. And one of the cool things that you've done for this podcast, because the listeners have heard me review some films, and so one of the cool things that Ray and I have done off the air is put together a disability film shit list. Disability shit list, yeah. So (laughs) I can review more films about sexuality and disability that are problematic. Um, And some Mm -hmm. that that just aren't. I love doing those reviews, so Ray's been helping me with that. And we, you and I should do one, we should do one together. I think that would be great. So fun. (laughs) That would be super fun. Ray, I could sit and talk to you for three more hours because you're just such a fun conversationalist and you're awkward like me, so we we get each other like that. <laughs> Feed off each other. Yeah, totally. Um, but is there anything else you want to let the audience know, want to talk about? Um, huh. Now my introversion has really kicked in. I was like, I had tons of things to say. Oh, no, all the ideas have vanished. Um... No, I think it was just, I hope I said some useful, interesting things. Um, like, what What time are we at? I don't even we, know. I just it's have been about an hour. We did, we've done about an hour of <laughs> okay. us giggling and being awkward together. Um, I think, you're, how do people get a hold of you? Oh, God. Um, I mean, with difficulty. Um <laughs> I am on Twitter and Instagram if you want to see my random retweets and trying to learn in a space where everyone is like um, saying different things all the time. Um, I am at Button Overture, B-U-T-A-N-O-V-E-R-T-U-R-E, there you go, Um, on both of those things. I'll make sure it's in the show notes so people can be sure to follow you. Mostly my Instagram is just, like, pictures of botanical gardens. I'm not going to lie. I'm a big um, floral enthusiast. It's okay. My Instagram is me following hot dudes and, and not, never posting. 
<laughs> like literally, I'm like, oh, he's attractive. Great, yeah, that one. Yep. Oh, okay, you're one of those lurkers on Instagram. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I sometimes post interesting things. Mostly at the moment, I'm talking about. Um, I am very political on Twitter, so like, be warned. <laughs> I got lots of things to say. And Twitter is how Twitter is how aside from from query Twitter is how we connected sort of and how like we started talking so yeah. it's a great it's a, I think Twitter is a great resource for somebody was asking me the other day on social media they're like how do how do queer disabled people meet and I was like well, Twitter is great go on there for five seconds yeah absolutely yeah I I think that like Twitter has for all of its like real um for all of its trolls and like all of the hatred um twitter i will definitely credit twitter for making me um realize that there were um other queer disabled people in like on the planet um and helping me connect with a few of them and i've met some of them in real life and it's great um yeah i think i think twitter is like a really great place for us to find community and learn from each other and you know like i was saying earlier like there is no hogwarts for disabled people where we all learn Again. everything about each other i think like twitter is like the closest to like this um that we can get <laughs> also jk rowling and the people that produce harry potter like hey hi my name's Andrew. This is Ray. We don't really are. We're not. I'm not big on Harry Potter. But if you, if you put a disabled character that was sort of positive, I might pay more attention. Um, yeah, also, but- Daniel Radcliffe, <laughs> you're really hot. Just <laughs> <laughs> want to put that out there. He has he has a good uh, sense of style from from what I've seen recently. He's pretty me- he's um, pretty metrosexual. Like he's. I I feel like if he were to come out, I'd be like, yeah. Saw it coming. <laughs> um, I I like that he's like seems like a bit of an awkward nerd. Um, Those the, yeah, the, the awkward nerds are my jam though. Like awkward nerds are what make yeah. me they give me emotional boners in so many ways. So mm-hmm. I, I feel that and like that's why we connect so well. That's why we, like yesterday before we recorded this, we literally talked for about an hour and a half, just talked, and I was like, this is a great. Why did I hit record that? It was amazing. Uh, I know, and I feel like oh, I just we should have done that because I'm like, did I recreate that magic? What did I even say? Uh, my like little introverted, anxiety-ridden brain is gonna go over this for like the next 14 years, going, but why didn't you say this in this order? Um, yeah, I know that's very relatable content. That's the benefit of us that. running. That's the benefit of us running the, running the podcast. You can come back to me. Yeah, then see. I can hear exactly what I said and going, oh god. Yeah. You can. <laughs> Something- you can, can go back, back in our spreadsheet and say like, "Oh, you should have me back on because I want to say five more things about this." So it's yeah. perfect. But uh, yeah, I think that we should uh, talk about uh, queer masculinity and disability because that's like a thing that I've been like figuring out recently. So yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on that. We can we can do that, or we can do it in a whole other. We there's we there's time. We will do that, and I like that idea because I have thoughts. And I know other. I, I know other. Already put a fly on Twitter for research, so I know other, you know I'm. <laughs> yeah, and I know other people have thoughts about it too. So maybe we'll do like a panel on mm-hmm. that or something. Um, uh, Ray, I think you're awesome, and thank you so much for taking the time and for us finally sitting down and doing this. I'm so happy. I know. I know me too. I'm very, very weirdly pleased to talk about myself for an hour. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So thanks for having me on. I appreciate thanks it. Thanks so much for being on, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye.
Sometimes I love hearing disabled people just talk and tell their stories and share their experiences, especially around being queer and their sexuality, and that's how I felt with Ray. Ray and I, before we recorded that interview, we talked for, I swear to you, we talked about an hour and a half the other day recording, not even recording, we were just talking about stuff, and I have to say, they're one of the most calming and relaxed voices I've heard, and just hearing them talk and listening to them was such a joy, and I want to hear more from them, and I'm so happy we will be putting episodes together for the show together, because I really enjoy their perspective, and I hope you did too. Lastly, this was episode 90 of the show. We are 10 away from 100, and I'm so proud of where the show's gotten and what it's done, and I want to hear more from you. So I want to invite you to go to our email box, and if you have a story suggestion, if you have things you want us, you want to tell us about, if you have a, an episode idea, a guest idea, send me all your things, send Ray and I all your things, to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. I want to get let make the show grow, and I want to do cool things with the show. So please help me do that, and tell me tell me your thoughts and feelings around disability and disability and sexuality for the show and disability for Minnesota. So send all the things to the email box, and we'll go from there so we can reach a hundred episodes and beyond. Alright, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing. You help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities. So I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Crippled Content Creations 2018